1: Please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy, grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy, and if you haven't already, do a gal a favor, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.
2: This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul.
1: Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Isabella Ferguson. Isabella is three years sober. She's an amazing coach, registered counsellor, and I'm very excited to have her on the podcast today. Isabella, how are you going? I am so good. And thank you, Danny. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. So, I know a lot of people will already know who you are because you're quite active in the space with what you're doing and all the work that you're doing. And also to do your courses that you've been running. And in particular, your course on how to talk to kids about alcohol, which is why I really wanted to get you in today to talk about that because it's something that comes up often in the podcast how we talk to our kids about alcohol and how we have that conversation. But before we dive into that, I want to hear a bit about your story and when you started drinking and how that progressed and what got you to quitting. So if you don't mind sharing, I'd love to hear. I'd love
2: to share. I can tell you where it ended up. It ended up with a stay in rehab, uh, which I went into in February, 2020. So I went into lockdown and then came out to lockdown. But the year before that things, my drinking had just turned a really dark corner. I had really been, I think quite a high functioning gray area drinker for a good 20 years, certainly drinking more than most people. But that last year, it just escalated. And I heard someone the other day say that alcohol can be magic, then it's medicinal, then it turns into madness. Well, that last year for me was sheer madness. I was doing really, really silly things with alcohol just to try and stay feeling normal. I was hiding bottles and I had my own secret stash in the wardrobe so that I could rush to it and drink and then come out and try and be normal. So it's probably no surprise that I crashed and burnt and surrendered to it and was able to get the help I needed. But I think looking back, it was no wonder that I really ended up the way I was, I grew up in Canberra and we all started drinking our group at the age of 14. I think already by then I was quite, I guess, a nervous person really looking to fit in. And I can remember even as young as primary school, just in circumstances of where I grew up, not having my gut, my tribe and feeling really lonely in primary school. So by the time I got to high school in Canberra, I was determined to do all that I could to find my group of friends. And with that came a lot of people pleasing and and all of those sorts of characteristics but I did find my group and thankfully they're still my amazing good group of girlfriends now we've all been through a lot together but we were big drinkers and there was just something about Canberra in the 80s where we were kind of drawn to quite self-destructive stuff we really sunk ourselves into the grunge genre we listened to big dark grungy bands we dressed like the bands we watched all those movies around that time less than zero the lost Boys, we kind of really were affected by all of that and we drank hard. I think when I'm looking back for me, it was that desire to fit in, but it was also a desire to find my voice and my opinions. And I really then felt that over the, the course of the decades that alcohol helped me articulate what I was feeling deep down inside. Looking back, I think that really was quite an element of people pleasing because I just wanted to be what everybody wanted me. I was seeking validation from everybody else, often to the detriment of my own well-being and safety. It's so funny because I wasn't speaking my voice normally, but it was when I was quite drunk and had a few under my belt that then I became louder and more opinionated. So it's like that self-perpetuating thing when you're a people pleaser. I went off to college to study law and I started in Armidale and I was 17 when I went there. And I can just remember not knowing a soul. And walking into dorm life and there being just garbage bins full of alcohol with all of that dorm parties. And I was like a red rag to a bull. I was straight into it. That helped me mix and socialise. And that kind of carried on throughout uni into the workplace. And then when I became a mum, but something that I was just really thinking about just in preparation for today was that with that people pleasing element that I had, I was also quite A chameleon like I shifted my identity really depending on what group I was hanging out with so in high school it was grunge it was that kind of scene at university I very much then turned into this full-blown hippie I had dreadlocks I lived out of town in a group house where we were growing poppies. I can remember taking a year off university. I just said, that's it. And I got on my push bike and we rode through Dorigo down to Bellingen, to Coffs Harbour, then hitchhiked up to Byron and just spent a year probably living the best crazy year of my life. But looking back, I was really still looking for who I was. I think with all of that, alcohol really just fits in quite nicely to help you kind of get over those feelings of insecurities that you've got. It was really though, when I left work when I was a lawyer, so early 40s, and I was sort of on the pointy end of burnout just through the work. And I had two young kids that I found myself with more time on my hands. I'd lost that identity of being a lawyer in the workplace. So I was feeling kind of untethered in that moment. And then I kind of was using alcohol quite heavily to socialise with all the mums because I'd never been able to do that before because I'd been at the school gates dropping the kids off and running. So suddenly I found these tough, amazing, beautiful women in my neighbourhood. They were very much like the crew that I had in high school we partied hard, we drank hard. Then I started drinking more than everybody else. And things really took a turn, as I said, in that last year.
1: Wow. There's a few things I want to touch on here. What comes to mind firstly is yeah. just, was it you that was noticing that you are drinking more than everyone else or were other people pointing that out to you? It was me because everybody was drinking
2: pretty solidly. And in my relationship, that's what we did. That's how we met. There was always lots of champagne and wine in how we socialized. We would have a bottle a night together and everybody was doing it. And I was really good at hiding it. Really, the comments started coming in that final year. But in the lead up to it, no. I must say, though, that. When I came out of rehab and had to integrate myself back <laughs> into the into the world, there were a few friends that had said, hey, babes, we were about to say something to you. You know, we're really glad that this has shifted and, and that you've got help. So people were noticing, but we were all doing it. But as I said, I was good at hiding it. I was having in that last year, a bottle of wine to myself before I went out
1: and put wow. up with my friends. Yeah. When you said that they, that a few comments came. What were the kind of comments that you were receiving at the oh, end of that last year? Just really
2: lovely, uh, thoughtful comments coming from a good place, which was just those things like, "Oh, you went a bit wild last night," or "Gosh, you needed help walking home from the party last night." Um, are you okay? How are you feeling the next morning? Things that that message. Yeah. How are you feeling today? Like, <laughs> yeah.
1: mm-hmm. Oh, what did I do? <laughs>
2: Yeah, good, and- thanks.
1: How are you feeling? Are <laughs> <laughs> you trying to put <laughs> it back onto the yeah, person? Uh, oh, it hey, was- at least your yeah. friends are thoughtful. A lot of my friends would be like, fuck, you were wasted last night. Or yeah, that would be the usual <laughs> from my best friend, Lisa. Fuck, you were fucking wasted last night. <laughs>
2: it's like- I know. It's, and it's hard. It's hard to hear.
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's a good,
2: good wake-up call. And I think you kind of bank away those comments and they build up until you're sort of
1: going, yeah, can't hide from them anymore. Oh, absolutely. One thing that's really important, which you touched on earlier, is just that alcohol gave you a voice. And oftentimes, most of us, we start off or it becomes a problem because it gives us that confidence that we never had. Or perhaps, as you say, if we're feeling a bit different or quiet, it gives us this courage to speak out or courage to be different. That's the scary thing too, in thinking about our children and our teenagers, they're still finding their voice and we want to kind of, hopefully we can give them some tools that they can have their voice or express themselves without the alcohol. It has given you a voice. It's given you some confidence. Then the important thing is noticing when it's diminishing that voice or when it's diminishing the confidence. That's exactly right. And for me, it was at this
2: thing, this tool that I was able to use. I'm short. I've got a quiet voice and I was still trying to learn what my opinions were. And then you start believing that you need it all the time to have an opinion and your confidence can feel quite eroded when it's not there. That's when you start to doubt yourself particularly it's not going to help your confidence when you're waking up the next morning Mm. remembering what you did with alcohol the night before and certainly with the whole kids factor I think you're really just wanting to encourage them to try and learn who they are when they're growing up and try and give them those really good coping skills so that they might be less susceptible to be like me and grab it when it's there when they're out and about socializing.
1: Yeah. If we can teach them that, if we had have been taught that earlier, perhaps I guess half the problem is with Gabor Mate talks about and hold on to your kids when we become so peer oriented and we're relying on our peers almost to bring us up rather than our parents. So parents actually stepping in and resuming that role of being the true north for the child, be the person that's there to direct and guide that child as much as you can and to listen and to connect with. So that they do feel confident and they're not Going to their peers for guidance. We don't yeah. want other children bringing up our children, essentially, as nice as that sounds sometimes. Yes. I was definitely a peer oriented kid. I was just all about my friends and really didn't listen to mum and dad because I was the they were a bit disconnected for their own and reasons.
2: Yeah. I can't at all blame my parents. They were really hard workers and they were just out doing yep. what they needed to do. And also because I was rebellious. So I wasn't listening to what, you know, even if they had attempted to try and tell me, particularly when I was 14 and onwards, I wouldn't have listened. So look, it's easy in hindsight. And yeah. I've got a really rebellious 13 year old, loves guitar. He's in a band. He's winning battle of bands. It's really hard to tell him stuff. Part of it's kind of learning, well, what motivates your kid? They're all different. How you are going to connect with them? is going to be different from kid to kid and mm, finding that
1: connection points key. Yeah, just being connected with. It's something I'm just working on as much as I can and certainly not getting it right. (laughs) Most of the time I'm fucking it up, but I'm really trying to work harder, just staying connected, stay loving, even in the mornings when there's eye rolling and door slamming and just to keep the conversation going. I had the conversation yesterday with Sunny about no matter where you are, I don't care what time it is, I don't yep. care if you're wasted drunk, whatever it is, if you need me, you call me. If you don't feel safe, you call me. You'll never be in trouble if you call me, and I promise you that. And I have to maintain that too. I have to maintain that promise of That's right. if you're, you're a wasted drunk. Stick to it. Yeah, I'm, as much as I don't want her to be wasted yeah. drunk. Sunny said to me that she's been invited to a party and I said, Oh, okay. Is there going to be drinking there? And she's like, Oh mom, no way. Like, she's like, look at my friends. They're nerds. I'm like, "Mm, okay. But I thought to myself, I it's up to me to call the parents too and say, hey, we're not okay with drinking. So and that's a bit awkward to have yeah. to make that call and to yep. to say that to that parent. And that's just stuff in me that I have to learn. It's uncomfortable and I have to make that call and be comfortable. Yeah. And make sure I know what's going on in that situation. It's
2: that tension between wanting to keep them safe, provide them guidance. On the other side, you you want to connect with them keep them talking, keep them coming back to you because you know that when you start to get controlling, then might push them into a bit of rebellion and quietness. So all parents are there trying to keep that little tension on balance. You've certainly just hit on what is the hard bit when it comes to trying to provide Mm -hmm. guidance with your kids when they're socialising, when they're getting older. That's the hard bit.
1: It's How terrifying. far do you go
2: without pushing them away?
1: It's interesting what I noticed in me yesterday. It was just an observation when I thought I have to call this dad who's organising this party to have this conversation with him. And there was a part of me that I didn't want to look like a pain in the ass, or I didn't want to look a bit uncool. But the conversation has to happen. So yep. just noticing—it's all about noticing, right? Noticing our reactions to things, and oh, that was interesting that I felt that. Yeah. But I have to push beyond that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly had that feeling too, and my mum. to, I can remember a moment when she got onto the speakerphone at the Canberra library. Is Isabella there? Is Isabella there? (laughs) Just to follow up, to make sure I was where I said I was, because often I wasn't. She went to the extreme and probably pushed me a bit underground. So I was hiding from what I was doing, even at a
1: young age. Um, See, that's the hard bit, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is is the hard bit. But I think it's really good for other parents to know that you are going to be that mum that's going to call up and check if they're there and check how they're getting home. I mean, I'm that kind of mum now.
1: Well, I've I've got to say with some of people that I've coached before and they've gone into the perfect childhood story, sometimes it comes out my mum and dad were so understanding, they kind of gave me a free reign, they let me do everything. And when we actually get into the conversation or we do some compassionate inquiry framework questioning around that, what's it like for a child to feel like there's no boundaries? And oftentimes if you really dig in, if you keep on digging, it didn't feel very safe to not have boundaries. Yeah, and what does someone who doesn't have boundaries and not feel safe actually feel like? Perhaps they don't feel very important. Yeah. and that can be a real light bulb moment for people to go, oh, whoa! So it is really important to show our kids boundaries because we love them. Yeah, totally. Oh God, so important. Yeah. I think in an ideal world,
2: if you're able to sit down with them and say, look, when things are calm and there's not an event that they're desperate to go to that's on the horizon, but you're sitting down in the morning, you're able to say, look, let's workshop the household expectations around when you're socializing. And I know this sounds really clinical and it sounds like your kid's going to be rolling their eyes, but- Oh yeah. If you can just say, look, it's teamwork. I am going to be your parent and my rules are going to change as you get older. But can we sit down and both create three really simple rules around what I need for you to have a really cool social life? And Mm. then if it's in advance, if it's collaborative, they're owning it, it just sets a really good foundation for talking about what they want to do and how they want to do it. And it makes it a bit easier when you're trying to enforce it later. I'm not saying it's easy and I still have heated discussions with my kids when they thinking that I'm being a little bit too overbearing, but it feels right in my heart most of the time. So Mm. I pretty much
1: follow it. Absolutely. This is amazing. So three simple rules that I need for you to have a good social life. It's so great because it's also letting them know, look, I've got needs too, and I need to feel safe in this as well. So in order for you to have a good time, I need to feel safe. That's great. Like I'm doing that. I'm using that tonight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) love it. Oh, I've even seen where where it goes awry. Like when they hit 15 and there has been a big social disaster, get the paper out again Mm. and just say, well, what went wrong? What do you think would be fair? And if you're saying, look, the foundation has to be to keep you safe, they never argue with it.
1: So you're trying to see each other's perspective. There's so many times that so many parties or in in situations I ended up in that were completely unsafe when I was younger, when I was a teenager and often sneaking out and things like that too. But I guess if there was more boundaries I actually don't know. That probably would have happened anyway. But I so wish some of those situations hadn't unfolded. And for some of my friends that ended up in terrible situations when they were pissed, when we were all pissed and not able to even help them. Yeah, you know? I've been there. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So now we have completely jumped forward. So let's pull back again. Yep. I want to hear about you and your journey. So how did it look like at the end for you when you were drinking? Were you drinking every day? Oh,
2: yeah. I was drinking in the day by myself Ooh. to feel normal. The worst was when my husband came home and it was probably three in the afternoon and I was plastered. Um, and on your just, own? On my own. And mm. he was, where are the bottles? Where are the bottles? And he searched and in a cupboard there were 40 empty bottles that I had been mentally trying, you know, I'd been thinking, when am I going to be able to sneak them out? When, where am I going to put them? How am I going to hide them? I was terrified of those bottles. His eyes were just full alarm and he was just, what the fuck is going on I didn't know what was going on. I was scared of withdrawing. By that stage, I was probably up to three bottles and I had been Googling. I had been learning that you've got to taper down. You've got to stop. I was too scared to go to a doctor. Now I know you can do safe detox from home avenues and I, God, if only I had known that. So that was a wake up call. It had gotten so bad that I was counting down the moments when my kids would go to school, my husband would leave and then I would exercise. I would try and plan the day knowing that I wasn't going to have to jump in the car anywhere to pick up the kids. Once I started, then I didn't stop. Whenever I started, it was with the idea that I was trying to slowly cut down to zero. That never worked. Of course, it wasn't going to work. And I would always just then continue on. And then come dinner, I was trying to hide the fact that I was quite drunk. My husband is amazing. We're one of the rare couples that have hit that point and we're still solidly together. But he got really scared and he said, I've got to save the family. You've either got to get your shit together, I'm going to leave. At one point, I drank so much that I had to be taken to hospital. My blood alcohol level was 0.4 and it was probably had been like that on many occasions before this but this was the point at which I was taken to the hospital.
1: Can I ask you, who, yeah. like, who took you to hospital? How did they know you had to be there? Can My you t- husband. T- so yeah. how did he know that you needed to go to hospital? Were you just unresponsive? or I,
2: I couldn't walk properly and I couldn't talk properly and he just thought I was gone and he thought it was just very different. And I think a part of him also wanted to say, well, this is it. I need help. I need external help. So taking me there was also his way of getting external help.
1: Were the kids there? no. The
2: kids weren't there, thank God. And I was in hospital. It was humiliating. I knew I was taking up a bed that somebody else should have had. And I had this amazing doctor that basically said to me, her brother had been there, her brother had recovered. And she said, I owed it to myself to sort my shit out. And she got me onto the hospital wing rather than discharge me and say, you're going to go straight from here to rehab. That probably changed the path that I went down. And from there, I, I wanted a rehab that looked quite gentle and nourishing and supportive. I didn't want to go to a place where I felt like I couldn't have coffee and I felt like in jail and Byron was the place that I found. And when I was picked up at the airport by one of their people that come pick you up. I went to had been at uni at Armadale with her. Oh no way. <laughs> so it felt very comfortable. She was very welcoming and Does that feel weird? Did that feel awkward for you or Initially yeah. But then it was also just a window into some really good conversations about, well, how are we in university? No wonder this is where we sort of have ended up. It was just then self-care, pausing and surrendering to the idea that I can't handle alcohol. And it just opened up the door of all the learning that I needed to do.
1: Wow, that's so... Uh. Incredible and so yeah. emotional. Thank you so much for sharing that and, and being so honest. How did it feel to know that, so you've obviously just got shit-faced and woken up in hospital, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you'd probably forgotten what led to get you there. Would that be oh,
2: uh, yeah, waking up to the, bee, oh. the hospital beeps oh, around goodness. you and just,
1: oh, what have I done? Wow. Yeah. And then, so you're sort of being from there, not even sort of getting the time perhaps to think, okay, this is it. So you've really been just thrown in the deep end of going sober. How was that? Oh, like, how did te- that feel?
2: Absolutely terrified. I still Mm. hadn't, when I left rehab, I still hadn't had that mental click that I was going to be an alcohol-free person. I still thought I was going to be someone that could moderate. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, yeah, mm. I, I didn't know anybody that was alcohol-free. Yeah, I was terrified of not having a life and my identity was so tied up in it. So a large part of my time was the anxiety of how I was going to integrate and the stigma of everyone in my neighbourhood. And of course, no one in the neighbourhood knew except my close friends, but how I was going to say, this is what happened to me. I did try to moderate when I got back and I'd fully convinced myself that I could. I thought I could just have one or two. It always ended in disaster. So you um, did drink after rehab? Oh, yes, I did. Wow. A handful of times and it very quickly, noticeably between my husband and I got to the point where, well, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? And I went to therapy. I wasn't so good at therapy. You know, all those questions about where are you feeling it in your body? Where are you feeling all of it, which is so important. I was so disconnected from my body. I'd lived mm. 30 years of abandoning my body mm. mm-hmm. and I was also just legally trained. So I was always in my brain and my mind not connected. So I didn't know. I couldn't answer the questions. I, I didn't know the answers. And one thing you don't learn in rehab is why you drink. You don't learn uh, mm. why it is you drink the way
1: you do, why mm. alcohol does what it does, and they don't. you don't really know the path out. So- if you don't know why you're doing it, this is one thing I always ask in my coaching is, what's right about it? Yeah. What What does it do for you? Because if you don't understand that, how are you ever going to get the antidote for that?
2: Perfectly put. Mm. And I can't blame anybody else because they were planting the seeds of the type of counselling that you need. I would have liked to have known a bit about alcohol and dopamine and what it does to my brain and my body. And I would have liked to have known a bit about beliefs and how they are formed and how to undo them. Because I would have liked to have known I was empowered to untangle myself, but that only came later. And
1: as soon as I started
2: to learn that, that was like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so important to untangle those beliefs is one of the biggest things. Wow. And to yeah. to challenge the beliefs and the thoughts and the inner critic comes up and our labels that we've created for ourselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. So big, big labels. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's just so amazing, but it does sound like you're in the perfect place that you had to be in at that time. And then, you know, they say when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Yes. So true. Exactly how it happened.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's all
1: in perfect timing. I'm sure of it. So you tried to moderate I find that very, that's interesting. And then when did you realize, okay, this isn't working. This has got to (laughs) go.
2: Yeah. And how did you do that? My my husband and I got back into a routine of sharing a bottle of wine, but I was so fixated on making sure I got exactly half. And then when he was watching TV, Mm. filling it up a bit more so that I would have a few extra glasses. He was noticing, he noticed everything, but he knew that I had to work it out myself. We finished the bottle. Then I tried to sneakily open up a second bottle and then that hiding it again. And it just blew up. And I was faced with very losing it all, losing everything that I hold dear in my life. So I started Googling, I started looking online and I discovered this naked mind. And it spoke to me on that very practical level of reframing our beliefs making you feel empowered, the self-compassion aspect I needed. So I tried that one of her 30-day courses and I did it diligently, not a journaler, but journaled and journaled and journaled and cried every day as I was, you know, what? why do you drink? What are your fears around not drinking? All of those all those things. I, I just did it and it clicked. So I did it in a very lonely way, isolating way, but it just worked for me. I, mm. I needed to be alone with my journal and take it seriously. Mm. And then pretty quickly after that, uh, oh, and when I was in rehab, I signed up to my courses to become a counsellor. So from there, it all just begun to make the way that I was learning to recover, then what I then did in my life with other people. So then I, start, I became a this Naked Mind certified coach, and then I became a grey area drinking master coach. And I think it's worked, I think for me, because it's answering that need that I had to find my voice. So I'm using my voice on blogging and writing about it, jumping onto podcasts and feeling useful finding my purpose. And I found myself again through this whole process. Now I look at that glass of alcohol and I don't think about drinking it. I've got alcohol in our wine fridge, got it in my fridge downstairs. And I never think about it. Often I think about where I was at and just think, wow, that got dark as a reminder. But for me, I just I never want to feel that withdrawal feeling again. And I know that One glass of wine for me, 20 minutes later, it's going to, I'm going to feel worse off than where I was at at the start. And that's a really powerful thought for me. Just that horrible, uneasy feeling
1: of, oh, I I never want to feel that again. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. That's, that's the driver, isn't it? Ooh, it's the driver. Just going back to that. No, thank you. Wow. What a story. That's absolutely remarkable. And to go from three bottles a day and having those 40 bottles hiding there in your cupboard, which cupboard was it?
2: Oh, it was in my painting room.
1: Yeah, uh, so I was, had, mm. uh,
2: yeah, it was in my, I know it's also symbolic. It was in my space, my room that no one went into and it was way up high. You had to really Get on a little ladder to get in, and I'd wrapped it up so that the bottles went clinking and you couldn't see it, and I'd put wow. it right to the back. I was so shamed about it. How did he find that? He just knew, yeah. And they, all your partners do know. They yeah, know the they difference know. between who you are when you've been drinking and you haven't. Mm. And he, you know, he had his own issues of and stress of. Well, what am I going to find when I walk in tonight? He just was over it, and he did a mm. full house search, and it was humiliating, mm. but he did it, and. Mm-hmm. Had to be done, Mm -hmm. you know. I would have done the same with him, and I probably wouldn't have been as generous and kind as he was. Mm. I would have been a little bit more brutal. What are you doing? But he was very, very kind, and he rarely drinks. He's one of those guys, and always has been, where he can open the bottle of wine and have a glass. Then three days later, go, oh, there's that bottle. It's off now. I'll pour it down the sink, and we're healthier for it, both of Mm. us. Yeah. Did the kids notice that you've stopped drinking? Have they noticed? They're probably intuitively noticed. Because we have gone from a family that got really quite celebratory and loud, put the records on, all the neighbours came over. We used to dance till the early hours in the morning Mm -hmm. and there were lots of bottles and they would have noticed that. I hope to think that I kept it contained, but I know now through are all the learnings that I've done that kids pick up all of that really young. But also I've addressed it with them. I've had a fireside chat with them about why I am an alcohol-free woman and I've been factual and succinct, but I have told them that alcohol, it started controlling me and I struggled with it. It got too much. I've told them the story that it started off quite innocuously that I was a young kid in high school feeling like I was lacking confidence and alcohol was this cure to that. And I've gently told them the story quickly because they get quite bored. (laughs) They're not as interested in my recovery story as I am. Um, And But I have said, and I had to go away for four weeks to really sort myself out. I did it for me, first of all, but I also did it so I could show up really well as a mother. And mm. I really think that conversation, no matter where you sit at on the mm. drinking spectrum is important. It has to be part of this conversation. And yeah. I, I know that's a doesn't have to be, I mean, I think every parent needs to do what's right for them, mm. but our actions do speak louder than words. Mm. And- if we can somehow bridge the disconnect between what we tell them to do, then how we're they're seeing us drink at home or not drink at home, it's really good just to explain why we do what we do, and there are so many reasons for that because it it makes them feel like they've been included. There's that great trust and respect mm. that we're showing them, and it shows them the gravitas of this conversation mm. and the risks. Mm. But I did tell them, and they had some really good questions. That conversation now continues on. I've shown them the courses that I've created. Uh, Mm -hmm. They've been my guinea pigs for that. They hear about just all that I learn and they hear that they know that I've got a podcast too. And I I told them that I'm appearing on your podcast as well this morning Mm -hmm. and they don't think twice. And I think they just, oh yeah, it's just mum doing her thing now.
1: (laughs) I wonder how it would be if we could get really honest about why we drank or for the people that are still drinking and that are listening, if you could really be brutally honest mm. and ask yourself why you're drinking and then perhaps saying to your kids, if you're still drinking, I'm drinking this weekend because I'm not confident. <laughs> Yeah. And and I need to work on that. Like if we were to be brutally honest with our kids and to say, and perhaps why we drank and that if I could go, I always ask on the end of the podcast, if you go back in time and speak to younger self, what would you say? And thinking about that and having that conversation with your child or a child, perhaps if you're allowed to, <laughs> a yeah. child that you know, it's hard because they're going to, they're going to want to explore. They're going to want to do that stuff. Like I did. Oh. But I guess, like you said at the start of the conversation before we hit record, it's about delaying. So what do you say to people that kids like mine, 14-year-old, they're going to start getting invited to parties? And what happens when they say, what do we do when Sunny comes home and says, Mum, I want a a four-pack of vodka cruisers? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck do you do?
2: I always say to parents that, and I heard this from Paul Dillon, who is quite a guru in this sphere. He really helps parents talk to their teenagers in their later years. He'll say, get the best advice and then follow your heart. You can't ever tell a parent how to parent. Absolutely. But the stu- the studies and the surveys do show that there is no precautionary measure serving your you or your child by giving them drinks when they're underage in the family home you're not helping them to adjust you're not teaching them to drink sensibly it actually can give rise to them forming beliefs around the fact that i need to drink alcohol to celebrate or to socialize there is no benefit to you in trying to introduce it in a safe way at home the messaging out there is delay, delay, delay as long as you can. And it's also coupled up in with the surveys, which are showing the really, really good news, which is kids are choosing not to drink at ever increasing greater rates. So it's becoming a viable option for them to say no. So let them, let them Mm. not. But if they are coming back and saying that they want to have a drink, I think it's really good to explain why that is not something that you're going to do in your own household and give them the factual reasons why. Mm. Uh, kids don't know. Kids don't know that how addictive it is
1: after the first try. I mean, people told me that about smoking. It's so addictive. <laughs> don't ever do it, don't ever do it. And there I was Same. smoking away and then I fucking wish to God that I had to listen because it was so hard to give up. It was harder than giving up alcohol, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah in some ways. Okay. What about for people when they say, I'd rather them do it in my house than do it behind my back?
2: The answer has to be the same. You're there to be the person that guides them. You need to explain why this is your decision. I think it's really important to say to our kids that it's just this is what alcohol does to your brains and your bodies. This is why I'm making the decision that I don't want you drinking at home and really include them into all of the good, solid reasons why it's bad for their brain health. It's bad for their development, that it can delay coping skills. And it can actually then, the earlier that they drink, it can make them more susceptible for an alcohol use disorder, drinking at a younger age, and I don't think you you need to make them feel scared or fearful, I think it's a really important conversation to explain the basis and the reasons behind why this is not working, this is not happening, and to also say my expectation is for you not to drink behind my back until you become an adult
1: and then explain the reasons why. Absolutely. In one conversation I've had with Sunny about it already, mm. I've told her some of the horror stories of things that happened where we've ended up in unsafe situations when we were teenagers, when we were the same age and how that alcohol really can make you really unsafe. Yes. And, I, and that really resonated with her a bit. I, you know, you want to be able to look out for your friends. You want to make sure your friends are safe. You want to make sure you're safe. You want to be in control of yourself and your body so that no one else takes that control or no one else can invite themselves in to take over. Essentially that conversation made her a bit more empowered. It made her feel, I guess, strong, in that you make this choice, you stay strong, you're in charge of your body, you're in charge of your own safety. I think that made her feel good. I reckon if I'd have said, oh, it's bad for your brain, blah, 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 she might have gone, yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's still good to have the conversation, absolutely, to let them know, like you've got to just lay it all out. Like here's the facts. I think for girls it's definitely about keeping yourself safe, keeping your friends safe.
2: And what Mm -hmm. you've done by that is you've basically Respected her autonomy and her own choice and her own decision making. And at that Mm. age, that is so important for them. What's really resonated with a few kids that I've spoken to is to sort of focus on the fact that it's actually just ethanol, but Mm. it's marketed as this sugary substance that gives you success and connection and friendship. And when you kind of turn on their critical awareness, it can make them feel like, oh, we're being a little bit tricked by all the advertising out there. Mm. I think the biggest key, and I think this is what you were touching on really, is that our biggest currency is to have influence into their life and their decision making. And we're really only going to get that if we've got a good connection with them. Mm. And that's really what it all comes down to at the end of the day is really trying to work on the mutual trust and respect. Totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they,
2: the, connect, the connection piece.
1: Yeah. And respecting them as well. But even perhaps asking, here's another thing I just thought that just dropped in for me. If they wanted to drink at a party, perhaps say, what do you think it would give you if you drank at the party? And then you can kind of deconstruct that and have a conversation around that without judging them, without telling them just to listen and understand and put yourself back in their shoes, how that would have felt back then.
2: That's right. The easiest place to know how to respond is when they're on either end of the spectrum. If they're rare drinkers or they're not drinking at all, Mm. then brilliant. You don't have to Mm. do much at all. But if they're that teenager and they're out there, I could have one in a few years' time, who knows, that are doing wild and dangerous things with alcohol, like I was with my friends, then it's almost easier to know what to do, which is probably it needs to be reined in. You need Mm. to potentially talk to the school, get the counselor involved, talk to other parents, maybe get external help. That's when it's extreme and you Mm -hmm. know their safety's at risk. But when your kid falls in that the middle ground of being an ordinary teenager in Australia, growing up where alcohol is at parties all the time, then that's where a lot of the parents get quite confused with how they deal with it.
1: It's so hard because yeah. also you don't want the child to feel not included. Look, it's a tough, I've got no answers here other than, like you say, you know your child. Yeah. Each parent knows their child. No one can tell anyone how to parent their child. Whatever works for you works best. But like, I really like what you say, delay, 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 do anything yeah. you can to delay that because their brains just simply aren't ready for it. They don't realize that. And they're going to try and push against that. I think another great messaging tool as well for the kids is to, especially if they're a kid, a bit like mine, who wants to be a bit different. Well, yeah, stand out, be different. Don't be one of those dickheads. Don't be one of those people acting like a a monger at the end of the night. That's not cool. Yeah. Show your difference that way. Yes, I took my daughter out to this cabaret show a couple of weeks ago in Brunswick Heads that was playing locally and there was this couple, two couples sitting there. They were getting drunker and drunker and drunker and these young women were there and they were really attractive, really gorgeous, and they were acting like total fuckwits. By the end of the night they were just jerks and everyone started looking at them, rolling their eyes, even their own partners were like, "Oh," And they kind of got ugly by the end of the night too. They were just (laughs) so like, "Whoa." And it was great. I was so stoked for Sunny to see that because I was like, this is what happens. This is alcohol. This is what it does. Oh, such a good thing. Yeah. And
2: I loved what you said before as well, Danny, which was like, if there is. moment where you do know that there's been alcohol involved then it can be a really good opportunity to ask all of the questions and you might need Mm. to take some time to have a deep breath but then Mm. come back did you feel pressured why did you do what you did did anyone act stupid would you do it again Mm. all of those questions are going to help with connection and talking and learning Mm. and you're getting great insights into and inroads into their life Yeah, yeah rather than freaking out and saying, well, screens are banned, you're never going out again. Kids are really good at picking up with unfair consequences. So we're parents in here for the long haul, aren't we? If it's happening once, it's going to happen another 20
1: times. And it's always great to put it, yeah, like you say, well, how did that make you feel or what was going on for you in that moment? And yeah. how do you feel about it now? You know, if it has happened, just have an honest conversation without judgment. There's no point in, as you say, grounding them for two weeks. It's what's it going to do? It's best to ask, okay, what's going on for you? That's right. Yeah. And if they're drinking to fit in, you've just added fuel
2: on all of that. If it's getting quite extreme, almost approach it like I would approach somebody that is going through their own recovery from alcohol that's got a problematic relationship and you've got to try and keep the shame out and the blame out and the stigma out and just get to the core of all what's going on and why you're
1: doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also important to, like I said earlier, like having the conversation with your kids that if you end up in a a shitty situation, you can always contact me without consequence. I think that's really important to have that conversation. The
2: safe person talk. I think we're talking about getting those basic rules set up. If you can the household mm-hmm. rules together, I would always mm-hmm. add that in there. I'm all, and and every time they go out, you're gonna always, mm-hmm. always call me. And I'll always be calm. I'll always listen.
1: I'm always your safe person. Yeah. Um, so important for us to be the safe person rather than the friends. Friends are great, friends are good, yeah. but essentially we wanna be the place where our kids feel that they can come. Yeah and have conversations and be honest with, and that we're going to be a place of no judgment yeah, and just pure safety for them. They need that safe place to land.
2: yeah. And again, I've
1: referenced this book quite a few times in the podcast, but I'd say to everyone who's got teenagers or kids to check out Gabor Mate's book, Hold On To Your Kids. Have you read it? Isabella? I haven't read oh, it. I haven't okay. read it. It's a great book. Hold yeah. on to your kids. Absolutely brilliant. It's just, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I'd say definitely for people to read that. It's a great tool.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to get
1: that for sure.
2: It's hard, isn't it? I mean, you're really trying to work out how best just to keep your kids safe and mm-hmm. look, probably I'm overvigilant because of my own experience. Yeah. And yeah. I probably carry a bit of that shame of having been away from them for four weeks. Mm. But I know that having open conversations about alcohol and filling in the gaps about why adults drink, why society seems to be obsessed with it, why some adults drink excessively around them. It takes mm. that allure away of alcohol, of it mm. being some magical substance that you need to celebrate
1: Being honest with them too. is just like, it makes you act like a dick. It makes you (laughs) wake up feeling like shit. It makes you do stupid things. It puts you in unsafe situations. It's not fucking cool. It's not cool to be sitting there at the end of the night or vomiting on yourself. There's nothing cool about that. What is cool is people who are in their body. They're confident. This is the message that I want to try and give to my kids that that stuff is not cool. And people that are doing that it's not cool. There's a different way that you can live. Oh my God, I'm pretty sure that that may have helped me, I think, in my earlier years to really get that. Gosh, if
2: I can try and encourage my kids to trust their own decisions so that they feel pretty solid in themselves and informed, then I think that's a big tick. I also think if you can do all that you can to just help them with all those social anxiety, those nerves, give them little tools that they can use when they are out and about with their crew socializing when they're feeling uncomfortable in their own bodies. That's a large part of the work that I really love doing because mm. that nervy unease, that uncomfortable moments that you feel when it, what every kid does, when they walk into a social situation, it just makes them a little bit more susceptible to finding something external to them to bridge that gap. So and there are lots of little things that we can
1: do as parents. Absolutely. Wow. That's incredible. One thing too, I think I might've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I've come from a family, my family, are big drinkers. One person in my family is my brother. You know, he's a fairly big drinker and yeah, he's sort of that guy, like he's a sort of Aussie bloke and loves a beer. And he was staunch with his kids. You're not drinking. You're just not drinking. Like yeah. it was just not an option for them. His kids, they don't drink. Nathan, my nephew, he's... <laughs> He's editing this podcast, and we're sitting there going, hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember even Nathan coming up to stay with me and going, Come on, drink. Nathan, drink, drink, have a drink with Annie, Danny. It's <laughs> like, Nah, they just didn't do it, even though that was around them everywhere. But it was just, it was How just does always annoying. What's his reasoning? Well, though? I think it's honestly for my brother and my sister in law, just like, No, no. Okay. No. So even though they said
2: no, but they still drank themselves a lot. So has he always been pretty confident and self grounded
1: in himself? I'm so My curious nephew? about these. yeah. No, yeah. They're, they're pretty shy kids, actually. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty shy, but they just don't drink really at all. It's, it's quite phenomenal. But then, you know, then you can have other parents that are super strict and it's gone pear-shaped on them oh, as well. Yeah. So who knows? My stepdaughters
2: are 22, 24, and they don't drink much at all. And potentially that's a generational thing. Maybe it's yeah. a nice shift that kids of the 80s and the 90s Kind of went hard, I Mm. think, and we're all paying for it now in our 40s. They probably saw us and were turned off by our behaviour
1: and decided to go the other way. Probably too. What I love though, in my decision and my husband's decisions to not drink, and having a lot of people around us who are beautiful, confident, creative people that most of them don't drink at all or hardly at all. And so our kids are around that constantly. And people who do amazing things or play amazingly huge shows, we've got a lot of musician friends and things like that, that show up, they're probably doing yoga backstage, drinking green tea, the kids are there, they're seeing that. So they're now being modelled this way of, of being, oh. that you can go and play in front of thousands of people or you can just show up or socialise or have people over for dinner and that's not part of it now and it hasn't been for a long time, my little one would never even really remember that as being part of it. So that's what's being modeled. And, you know, there's that monkey see, monkey do thing. Well, thank God. That's what I'm so happy about, that this is what we get to model for our kids. That what can an absolute be, gift. Yeah. Confident. We can be creative. We can do all those things. If anything, that conversation too around alcohol will steal from your creativity. Yes. It will steal from your confidence.
2: I used to sit there and paint with a glass of wine. Wow. <laughs> How's your painting Thinking. now? <laughs> I've basically stopped. I need to get back into it. I mean, I think I've just learned so much. I was probably painting to calm my nervous system during the crazy days. Mm -hmm. But look, you're right about modeling all those moments. And I didn't have that modeled for me. Alcohol was always there. That's probably Mm -hmm. why I was so shit scared in rehab about how the hell am I going to live without alcohol? But now we're doing it with our kids.
0: At home,
2: we just had Christmas without a drop of alcohol on the table, not because that's what I needed everyone to behave like, but it's contagious. My mum's stopped drinking now and my sister and her brother-in-law hasn't. So my kids, like yours, are picking up that happiness and celebratory moments and good laughs and the records still come out. You can do all of that stuff, but
1: mm. we're not falling asleep on the couch at two oh,
2: and, totally. we're not, and we're not doing it with alcohol. And it's
1: not going pear shaped, there's not the big family dramas <gasps> and all that kind of stuff. The fights. Yeah. I mean, I've always saw that yeah, you get you have family get togethers, everyone got shit face. Neil Diamond, hot August night comes out, you know, <laughs> someone cries. Yeah. You know, someone it's actually how the emotions would be expressed. But then sometimes it would just go to shit too. So it's great, isn't it? And it's the same, absolutely. Like we still have get togethers, music still happens, records come out, but There was no one's shit faced. We can still (laughs) express and say that we love each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I really love the fact that you are offering this course on how to talk to your kids about alcohol. What a beautiful offering. So that's an online self-guided course. If someone was interested in that or interested in just connecting with you, what's the best way to get in contact?
2: Kidsandalcohol.com.au and that will take you straight to my yeah, kids and alcohol
1: page. And the course is there. That's yeah. absolutely beautiful. Uh, Isabella Ferguson, I could talk to you for hours. Same, same. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've got to wrap this up because we both have a life, but I'd love to get you back on in the future too, to discuss this more. Or if anyone's got any questions, I would say send them Isabella's way because this is a beautiful conversation to have and to keep having. And I'm just interested in other people's thoughts around this. And yeah, yeah just thanks you so much, have.
2: Danny. And I never want to be seen to be, I guess, giving advice and telling parents what to do.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It's only just, well, I've looked at some stats, looked at the surveys and I'm following my heart. And this is what I would tell other parents to consider. And then you take it from there. I'm probably going to be
1: the parent that is changing my views and learning as I go as well. isn't that what we're doing? Like that's what we're doing as parents. We're just kind of doing our best. And of course, within this conversation, if that's my choice to delay, 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 and say no to my kids for now, that's my choice. And if someone listening, if that's triggering them because they're feeling like they're being judged, it's by no means, there's no judgment here. Everyone has to do what feels right for them, but it is definitely good to be open and think, I might check out some of those stats. Oh, Also, Isabella, where could someone, like if they wanted to look into that, is that all on your website, those stats and those surveys or the results of? No, but I can tell you exactly where. Uh,
2: Data, Drug and Alcohol Research Training Australia. That's Paul Dillon's site. He collects all of the stats, all of the research, and he puts them into easy, readable summaries. He's brilliant. And I also look at FAIR, the Foundation of Alcohol Research and Education. They've got some really good data collected on international surveys about what kids pick up when they're young. Yeah. So they're really good sites.
1: Fantastic. I'll put those in the show notes if you don't mind flicking them through to me. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Okay. So great to talk to you today. And I look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Thank you, Danny. Thanks, Isabella.